0: As you may or may not know, Darren Watts passed on December 31st, 2022. This episode was recorded earlier in that month, along with some few others. We will be playing his final episodes in their entirety over the next couple months until we run out of tape. Thank you for listening. We miss you, Darren. Stay tuned. This week, the Comics Guys explain Summer Event Comics, Part 2. Alrighty. Thank you, Ben. Hello, and welcome back. We will be continuing our exploration of the summer crossovers, not the summers crossovers. We did that episode already, <laughs> where we talked about all the summers. So if you're here to hear about uh, Havoc and Cyclops and uh, all of them, go uh, find that other episode.
1: Also, not like Buffy Summers or any of the other
0: Summers. Jamie Summers. Yeah, maybe we'll do that one one day. We'll go through the Buffy comics. Probably oh, not. Oh, totally that. yes. Oh, you read them? I've never read them. I
1: have read. I, well, I mostly I read the ones that were done, like the official ones, right? The mm-hmm. ones that Whedon and a couple other people wrote. So
0: that makes sense. I always meant to get to it after I read *Astonishing X-Men* because I really enjoyed uh, Whedon's run on that, but yeah. never did. But. All right, shtick aside, we're going to talk about the uh, different uh, summer crossovers that we are starting off this time with the sequel to the really big one, uh, Secret Wars. So with Secret Wars 2. So, Darren, how does Secret Wars 2 come about? Well,
1: obviously, Secret Wars 1 was not just a not just a hit, but was literally the biggest selling comic in 30 years at that time, right? So there was no question that they were going to do a second one. Right, uh, so in starting in the summer of 1985, uh, they do a nine-issue, you know, Secret Wars two, basically just like you know, bigger and better and huger and uh, you know, just just a larger thing all the way around. Um, shooter Jim Shooter, who had written the first one, uh, you know, obviously felt a great deal of pressure to kind of like top himself. Right. Like the, you know, the uh, Secret Wars had been such a smash and he had spent so much time kind of like relying on uh, what that had done for his reputation. Right. That he kind of uh, did not allow anybody else to edit him um, and, you know, kind of like took this in as his own personal project. Um, He insisted on having instead of doing what the original Secret Wars had done, which was like kind of take place in between issues of the core lines comic, right? Like they would have, uh, you know, like one issue end with the heroes all disappearing. And then the next issue would start with them all coming back, you know, from the Secret Wars so that like the other comics could continue with whatever storylines they were doing. Uh, in this case, he insisted that, like, the entire story be played out on a month-by-month basis and cross over with several different titles every month uh, to kind of, like, make one huge expansive story. Uh, and, you know, some of it works, <laughs> you know, some of the writers went along with that. Some of them clearly were very unhappy about having to shoehorn, uh, you know, the adventures of Beyonder and that sort of thing, uh, you know, into what they were doing. And they clearly, you know, uh, don't put any effort into it, right? Like it's a, uh, you know, not a thing that they wanted to do. Um, so it's a it's a nine issue limited series. And then it has 32 official crossover issues of other comics to make a total of 41 issues to tell this entire story. Um, Obviously, nothing like that had been done previously. It it kind of like even topped Crisis, basically. Um, The core story of it is the Beyonder, who has the, the, the super cosmic alien who took all of the heroes and villains to the other side of the universe to have a big fight uh you know in the in the last secret wars decides to come to earth and take on mortal form and learn all kind of stuff about what it means to be human and to be mortal and to not be omnipotent right like to you know uh, uh to artificially limit himself this, of course, is a fairly dumb premise. If the character is in fact omnipotent, it seems like it would be pretty easy for him to just know the answer to every question. Uh, and so, like, why the, the Beyonder has to spend nine issues asking people dumb questions uh, when he could just use his powers to get the answers, never really kind of like gets addressed. Um, so instead of the story kind of like making any sort of sense, like Secret Wars did. We get to see the Beyonder just wandering around, pestering people for nine months, while all of the great powers of the Marvel Universe get more and more concerned and more and more upset that he's there, uh, to the point where uh, the Molecule Man and the Beyond and uh, the uh, Eternity and all of these other like super cosmic uh, entities, uh, you know, wind up trying to kind of like team up to battle him. Um, basically just by you know jumping on him in big dog piles. It's absolutely moronic. It is a dumb, dumb story. It makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, on top of all of that, the art is done by Al Milgram and Steve Leloa Both people, very talented, skilled art and skilled penciler in Al Milgram and a skilled inker in Leoloa. But for whatever reason, the combination of the two of them working together was an absolute disaster. It looks terrible. Part of it is because it was rushed, uh, but part of it is just that Leoloa was a terrible choice to ink Al Milgram. Right, like the two of them, their styles are just so uh, disparate that the art looks, in some cases, like actually childish, which is clearly not the case. You know, of of either of them when they're working on their own. And so, you know, it was once again. The best-selling comic of 1985, right when it actually, uh, when it, when it, when it did, uh, you know, finally get measured out, because people were so excited about the first one, but it was pretty much universally critically panned. Everybody hated it. Everybody complained about it. There, nobody was, you know, like satisfied with it, and it was a massive black eye on uh, Jim Shooter's you Know, kind of like personal resume, right? Like, it was his first kind of like step out into public and fail massively in front of you know, like an enormous crowd, basically. And it would go on to lead to, uh, you know, a great many uh, personal uh, conflicts that Shooter would have with uh, you know, kind of like the important muckamucks at Marvel. If you want to go back to our Marvel. Uh, episodes And kind of like hear the details of Jim Shooter's kind of, you know, massive flame out at uh, Marvel as editor-in-chief
0: Yeah, big Jim Shooter being a big jerk is basically one whole episode of that series, so Yeah, right if, if you're following along, you've already heard
1: this There's very little to the story that kind of like made any sort of impact on the universe, too, right? Like, I mean, there's, you know, it's the first appearance of Tabitha Smith, of Boomer Or meltdown in X Force. Basically, it's her first uh, uh, appearance. Um, It's the first appearance of Curse as a Thor bad guy. Um, Apart from that, it doesn't really introduce any new interesting characters. Nobody dies. Nobody has like a big change in their you know status quo of the characters. It's uh, the beginning of. A very fun little kind of like side thing in the Spider-Man stories, uh, David michelini and Peter David, there's a, a a scene in the story where uh, Power Man and Iron Fist are trying to explain the concept of money to the Beyonder. And uh, they kind of like get across the, you know, uh, Luke Cage, obviously, uh, you know, being kind of like the dim one doesn't realize we're not on the gold standard anymore. Um, and so kind of like tries to explain Scarcity as a concept, uh, and the reason that, you know, like dollar bills are worth something, right? And so uh, the Beyonder tries to be helpful and says, well, if the problem is that there's not enough gold, I'll just make more gold and turns an entire skyscraper into gold, which then immediately collapses. In order to keep the existence of this solid gold skyscraper, from like, crashing the US economy, uh, the US government pre- uh, uh, basically uh, recruits the Kingpin and uh, you know his uh, forces, basically, to cover up the existence of the destruction of this uh, uh, solid gold building, basically, and to have it hauled out into the middle of the ocean, dropped into the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Before that happens, Spider-Man winds up with a, a solid gold uh, notebook, basically, that he swipes from the building. And that notebook would go on to become, like, a recurring plot line and a recurring kind of, like, a, you know, like, a, a plot point of, like, how is Spider-Man actually going to turn this solid gold notebook into money uh, that I think lasted for almost a year of, uh, of story points, basically. So,
0: I was just going to say, overall, though, Secret Wars is surprisingly forgettable. Secret Wars 2, rather, is surprisingly forgettable. Like, absolutely. At, at best, it's, it's forgettable. Not good, it also doesn't matter. Like, right. Which, you know, sort of, there are definitely, as we go through this, uh, event comics that uh, take after the first one, uh, and definitely ones that take after this one. So it ends up kind of laying the uh, groundwork for uh, big big event comics that uh, don't affect the world at all somehow.
1: Right, exactly. Like go nowhere and basically do nothing. The the horrible portion of it is the the most kind of like infamous part of Secret Wars two is the scene where uh Spider Man has to teach the Beyonder how to go to the bathroom. Right, like that's just like so awful and cringy. And once again, even for the joke, it doesn't make any sense. Right, like how does the Beyonder know how to create a human body, and yet not understand the concept of going to the bathroom? Right, like, none of this, the, even the joke doesn't land, and it's a terrible joke to start out with, right? So, uh, you know, a, a lot of people kind of, like, pointed back to that as, like, this is this is what happens to Jim Shooter when he is allowed to work without editors, basically.
0: So. The weird thing about Beyonder is he is sort of well-remembered still, um, and every once in a while he pops back up. He's popping up a lot right now for some mm-hmm. reason. He just had a whole series where he joins the defenders uh it's not really the defenders though it's like it's a totally different team with Blue Marvel at the head. That's the only reason I really read it because I love blue Marvel sure. um but it's pretty good. it's really weird and out there i mean it 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 ends with one above all being uh, a major part of the story uh or what is it called the uh the writer basically, but yeah, you know, that, right, yeah coming up. God, as represented by Jack Kirby. Yeah, so it's a very strange story, um, but it seems to be leading into this other thing they're doing, which is now Avengers Beyond. Um, so I guess we'll see more of the Beyonder. Hopefully, he has learned how to, go, or you know, retains how to go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> exactly. So we don't get. I don't want to see Miss America having to teach the Beyonder how how to use the bathroom. That's not the updated comic we need. He does punch him across reality in it, though, which is pretty cool. Well, that's always handy. That certainly
1: must be pretty satisfying with his enormous mullet and, uh, you know, his, his terrible late 80s outfit and hairstyle.
0: Yeah, they did ba- basically retain his uh, his look. They did not update him almost at all, which is right. nice. So that he still looks kind of
1: Thriller-era white boy Michael Jackson, basically.
0: hmm Yeah. Yeah. So spinning that's... out of Secret Wars... So there's a,
1: well, there's a few other, I mean, like around this time, uh, Marvel is still experimenting, right? Like Mm -hmm. with how they're going to do this sort of thing. And we have some rules, you know, kind of like in-house about what counts as a big summer crossover and what doesn't. And one of the rules is that if it only involves uh, like an already connected group of characters, just because it appears in multiple comics, It doesn't actually count as like a big summer epic. So, like the X Men at this point have several uh, multi-issue crossovers between the multiple X Men titles, right? Like that that start happening around this time. Mutant Massacre uh, is kind of like the most notable one, where it introduces Mister Sinister and wipes out the Morlocks, and uh, and uh, all of that kind of like storyline is one of the first big crossovers because this is the point where. The X Men have multiple titles for the first time, really, right? Like it's you know, like the the X Men is not just one comic, but it's also New Mutants and X Factor, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, crossovers between those kind of like tightly knit titles basically start happening on a regular basis. X Men is kind of like the most famous for them because uh, at the time, Chris Claremont is writing the core X Men series, and the Simonsons are mostly writing the other ones, right? And so. Uh, they already are, you know, good friends and uh, have worked together uh, many times. So they keep kind of like co-writing stories that involve all of the X-Men teams. You'll get Fall of the Mutants in early 1988 and then Inferno at the end of 88, et etc. So they all kind of, you know, this is a period where a lot of that is happening.
0: That's a, that's a pattern that we'll just keep going too. the X-Men having big X-Men only crossovers. Exactly. Right, like this doesn't just this doesn't stop. We'd be here forever if we were. We'd be
1: here forever if we counted every one of them. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So sometimes there's multiple ones running at the same time.
1: Meanwhile, over at DC, uh, Crisis, uh, you know, once again was a big smash hit. Not quite the size that Secret Wars was, but it had a great deal more influence on the line because the entire point of Crisis was to fix problems that Marv Wolfman and George Perez and Len Wein thought that the DC universe had. Right, So there was a lot of uh, characters who were killed, a lot of characters who were rebooted, a bunch of new characters were introduced, uh, all of the Charlton characters were brought over to the you know DC universe for the first time. And so Legends, a year later, basically, uh, is kind of the first big crossover to kind of like establish what the new status quo was going to be. Right? There's several months between these, between the end of uh, Crisis and the beginning of Legends, in which it's clear that the DC editors and writers are not all on the same page about exactly what's going to happen going forwards. Right, And it, it, it took a bit for them to kind of like get everybody uh, working together. There is one appearance of Captain Atom uh, that takes place. Uh, before legends basically that then has to be removed from continuity because it was clear that the writers had not met uh with you know like kind of like the core team that was going to be doing a captain adam series and so there's like kind of one uh you know out of continuity appearance of him just to kind of like screw every screw everybody up right kind of thing um also it took a bit for john byrne uh to come over to dc uh, and start uh, Superman with the new Man of Steel series, and so there's several issues of Superman titles between Crisis and the beginning, the the reboot, basically. That kind of you know uh, don't fit anywhere in continuity uh, and don't actually kind of like make sense in the post-Crisis universe. In order to do Legends, DC went completely outside of its uh, regular operations. The, uh, the original story was pitched to them by a guy named John Ostrander. And Ostrander was an actor uh, from Chicago, a professional actor. Uh, he had worked with Del Close in theater uh, performances in Chicago and had also been done stuff with uh, Second City. And so Del Close kind of had gotten him into writing comics, indie comics with uh, First uh, Comics, one of the indie publishers of the early '80s. And Ostrander had created uh, the series Warp for First, and you know he was already—he wasn't a young kid trying to break into comics, right? He was already in his mid-thirties at this point, point. and this was just a fun thing that he had kind of like picked up. So he threw a pitch at DC and said he's i have this cool idea for a story and dc not only said yes but like made it to the big summer event right so literally his first appearance at dc his first writing at dc was this in, turned into this enormous uh, you know, project basically that involved the writers and artists of a whole bunch of different other, you know, different titles and everything, all having to work together to his core plot, as he describes it, it was absolutely terrifying, (laughs) right? Like all of these other people, you know, suddenly kind of like coming to him, the guy who helped him is kind of surprisingly is John Byrne, who is not necessarily, uh, well-remembered or noted, uh, for being an easy guy to get along with. But Byrne had himself just come to DC and was apparently in a pretty good mood about how uh, everybody was letting him do whatever he wanted with Superman, and so he kind of like pitches in, uh, along with Len Wein doing some of the editing for it to create this entire story for, uh, with John Ostrander writing it.
0: So, um, what, what causes DC to jump on this story was
1: like Astra, they, they like, loved well, the idea.
0: It was a
1: simple and basic plot that they felt that they could do a lot with, right? So like the the core plot of Legends is Darkseid is taking a look at the DC universe and says the problem with the DC universe, the problem I always have with humans, the reason I haven't successfully conquered Earth yet is because humans believe in heroes, it's it's not just the individual heroes themselves but it's the the heroes as symbols make earth too hard to control because they will always believe that there is that 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 a hero will save them and that being a hero is a good idea so what i need to do is destroy humanity's faith in their heroes i need to undermine uh each of these kind of like great heroes in their public images so that the public will turn against them and that will make them weak enough for me to conquer
0: yeah it's a great plot
1: perfectly straightforward plot it makes you know and and you can see where like this gives everybody the opportunity to kind of take a look at their own titles their own characters right and tell a story about the symbolism of each of their characters so the other writers kind of like embraced this idea and once again by the end of it it had grown way beyond ostrander's original plan like ostrander just kind of wanted to do this relatively uh small limited series or something and it turned into this enormous epic by the end it's a six issue limited series by itself with 22 crossovers uh into other titles was this limited
0: series as big in scope or was it more focused not remotely not even
1: close They just, DC's editors and Len Wein and John Byrne said, this is a great idea. We can really use this for something. And so they blew it up way beyond what Ostrander's original plan was.
0: Do we know, I'm always interested in these, like, you know, what if the, the, you know, first pitches of stuff, do we know what characters it was focused on originally? Was it focused on Superman? I, or
1: I do not know that. I have no, uh, I, well, I know it was Darkseid, right? Like I right, know it was Darkseid's so, plan and that presumably it would involve, you know, wow. Superman or Batman and whoever, you know, well, uh, awesome. we've never, th- I'm, I'm, most of this is going from like an interview with Ostrander and this is as much as he describes, right? It's just that he started with this small idea and it blew up on him basically, right? So Makes sense, yeah. So what they wound up doing, I mean, basically Darkseid sends glorious Godfrey to Earth uh, who you know takes up this job of like going on every TV show basically uh, as a political rabble rouser uh, talking shit about superheroes, basically, right and like you know mind controlling people into believing him that uh, it's a mistake for people to put their faith in heroes, right And so then Darkseid sends a bunch of menaces. To Earth, that are all kind of like trick problems, right? So that the heroes can be seen on TV to be failing to stop them. And this will, you know, cause them all to look bad, right? We say Captain Marvel seems to apparently kill a guy in his first encounter with one of Darkseid's like big. Monster problems, basically, right? And he didn't actually, but it's a trick that, you know, Darkseid has played so that it looks publicly like Captain Marvel did a terrible thing. And Captain Marvel believes that he did it. So, like, Billy Batson refuses to become Captain Marvel again for, like, pretty much the entire. Six-issue run until at the very end he realizes that he has been duped, right? But he thinks he's, you know, he he can't control his own powers. He shouldn't be, you know, a, a little kid should not be in charge of these incredible powers. If I can't be care, you know, uh, careful enough not to kill anybody by accident, right? Kind of thing. Um, so each of these menaces kind of, you know, like, causes trouble until the heroes eventually, of course, like, figure it out, prove that Godfrey is a terrible person, and, you know, defeat all of these monsters and, you know, boot side off the planet again. The, uh, over the course of this storyline, uh, it does a bunch of different things on top of that. This is the, you know, the first appearances of, uh, the new Captain Marvel in continuity, the new new Captain Marvel, if you go back to our discussions of the different versions of Captain Marvel, um, it puts the uh, long-lasting version of Ted Cord into continuity as Blue Beetle. Um, Ted had appeared, the his solo comic had already started by the time Legends came out, but this was kind of like the big introduction of the character and him for the first time interacting with other characters in the DC universe. Uh, it put in the whole new Wonder Woman, that George Perez was doing in his uh, solo, uh, you know, the, his, his post crisis uh, taking over of the title and reboot of the title so that all of Wonder Woman's previous history didn't exist anymore and Wonder Woman was now a brand new character appearing for the first time in 1987. Uh, it kills off the old Justice League and replaces them with the Demetis and Giffen version of the league, the Bwahaha League, right? And gets Blue uh, Blue Beetle and Captain Marvel onto the team. Guy Gardner gets his ring back and uh you know he gets onto the team. Uh Dr. Fate and uh, Wally West as Flash all appear for the you know the 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 first real time in these stories. And the Suicide Squad makes its first ever appearance. Um that Ostrander uh you know is is picking up basically uh going directly from Legends, they basically offer Ostrander uh, several ongoing titles, right? And the two that he picks are to take over Firestorm and to create Suicide Squad. And so those first, you know, five or six years of Suicide Squad spin directly out of the Legends series. Um, it's the first appearance of Amanda Waller. Um, it is also the story in which the Legion of Superheroes realizes that they have a continuity problem. Right, like if Superman was never Superboy, who started our team? Right, kind of thing. Um, That whole kind of the resolution of that story over in Paul Levitt's writing Legion starts in Legends as well. So it was really just kind of like an introduction to everything new about the DC universe at this point. Uh, You know, going forward, it's an explosion of characters and stuff. It's really it's not that great a story. But as an event, it's tremendous. I mean, like, literally every page, some new amazing thing, you know, that turns out to be historically significant happens, right? So you're just like, wow, oh, that's the first appearance of this guy, and that's the first appearance of that guy. Oh, this is all great, you know, kind of thing. Um, So even though, like, the story itself is relatively simple, uh, it completely works. And Burns' art is fabulous. Ostrander is great fun as a scripter. So it's, you know, compared to secret wars 2 it you know stomps all over it and cleats as far as kind of like this first new introduction the uh, after the after the big ones that kind of like created summer crossovers
0: yeah i mean that was something i was going to bring up i i had never read it before uh before like we got ready for this episode um Mm -hmm. and i knew all this stuff comes out of it i love john astrander i love suicide squad uh and it is fine it is like It is an inoffensive. Like I didn't read. All, I didn't read all twenty-two tie-ins. I read the. I read the six. The the core. Sure. The core issues, uh, right. and it is fine. Like it is. That is an event comic. That is. Um, right. Yeah. Which is sort of surprising with how many. You know, How much it has going for it. Um. So part of the thing I was thinking when I was reading it though is that a lot of it is because a lot of the ground that it treads, was has been, you know in the two decades, three decades since, you know, gone over and over again. Um, Was it, you know, reading it, reading it at the time it came out, was it more groundbreaking or more? We weren't so sick of Darkseid at that point, right?
1: So like, it's certainly the fact that like Darkseid is the guy doing all of this. We hadn't really had, uh, you know, the kind of just like, Absolute saturation of the character, so he was fun to see. Um, you know, he'd, he'd been in the Great Darkness saga for with Legion and everything, and he'd uh, you know shown up in in other places. Superman had you know crossed paths with him once or twice, but we hadn't really seen Darkseid as you know like the big problem for everybody on Earth, kind of you know like mega villain, and so kind of reestablishing him as a kick-ass bad guy. Is one of the things I think that leg that Legends accomplished. Um, but a, but apart movie. from that, no, I agree. It's not a like I said, it's not a groundbreaking story. It's not a you know. Uh, there's there's fun stuff in it. There's fun characterizations in it. Guy Gardner gets you know his jackass personality really kind of kicks in for the first time. Yeah. Um, we get to see uh, Captain Boomerang you know being a jerk before Suicide Squad even starts. It, the idea that Ostrander loves Captain Boomerang as, like, his favorite bad guy kind of thing, uh, you know, gets its first, uh, the, the first time you see him getting to do that, right? Where, uh, you know, where Boomerang is kind of trying to hold the entire, you know, Suicide Squad hostage with his uh, promise to reveal that they exist on
0: national TV kind of thing. Yeah, it, there's a lot of good stuff in it. It just uh, It's
1: good. Stuff. And like you said, it's not, it's not amazing. It's good. It's fun. And it's absolutely historic. Right. So. Yes. Secret Wars being the, the the crap fest that it was, Marvel kinda like then takes a little time off of not doing any kind of like big events uh for you know the rest of 87 and 88. Like I said, they do a couple of the 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 X-Men stories, uh, but they don't do any kind of like big stuff because they really, you know, they kind of got burned on Secret Wars too. Um DC, on the other hand, has not really had a bad one yet, so they decide that they're going to do a, uh, a another one in 1988. And it's going to be called Millennium, and Millennium will have a whole brand new format. It's going to come out weekly instead of like coming out monthly over like a summer. Basically, it's going to happen in January and February of 1988, and it's going to come out once a week for eight straight weeks and then crossover with all of the titles that go on, that happen in the regular lines in January and February of that month, basically. This is DC's first ever try at a weekly series. Um, it works logistically, right? They do successfully ship all eight issues of it on time, which you know was certainly part of the test. Um, it is pitched to them by uh, Steve Englehart and Joe Staten, who are the team that was working on Green Lantern at the time. And uh, Englehart had had this idea uh, that he wanted to bring back characters that he had created for DC back in the 70s, the first time that he'd worked for them before he, you know, like left in the Huff back in the 70s. He wanted to go back and bring back those characters. And so... He was planning to just bring them back in the pages of Green Lantern, but when DC kind of like turned to each of its creative teams and said, "Okay, who's next after Legends?", Engelhart said, "You know, I've got this thing. If I, if we try, we could make this huge. We could make this really big." And so the premise is that the Manhunters, uh, who Engelhart had introduced in a Justice League story back in 1976, basically, uh, are coming back. Right? Like they they were. Uh, the they were the Green Lanterns before the Green Lanterns, right? Like they were created by the Guardians of the Universe uh, as a peacekeeping force, as a you know a, a group of you know heroes, basically, um, most of whom were robots or many of whom were robots. Uh, and then to kind of patrol the universe, and the Manhunters kind of like were corrupted and turned against them, and turned out to be a force for evil in the universe. Nobody had really seen them in 10 years. Uh, And so the premise of this is that the Manhunters are uh, trying to stop the Guardians from gathering what are called the Chosen. And the Chosen are basically the next race of immortals. Some number of humans, basically, uh, are going to be uh, like the, the progenitors of like the next great immortal race that will like, you know, rule the universe or like, you know, uh protect the universe alongside the guardians at some point in the future. And the Manhunters don't want that to happen. And so they have infiltrated uh all of the lives of all of the DC heroes at this point. They have kind of like snuck somebody in to the supporting cast of every superhero basically, uh, as an effort to kind of, you know, like stop this from happening and if necessary, kill the hero. Right, so a bunch of basically NPCs, right, like a bunch of like the supporting casts of different superheroes, are secretly revealed to have always been manhunters, uh, you know, all this time, and have just been kind of like hiding in wait uh, and and waiting for this event basically to like turn on their superhero friends, and so a whole bunch of these characters are revealed to be manhunter spies uh Laurel Which Kent
0: part of this story is kind of horrifying
1: it's terrible uh,
0: and and kind of cool uh i just want to say that this this particular you know uh all these uh, background characters are actually the supervillain and they've replaced the people you love is kind of cool and totally Except they not-
1: haven't replaced them they've always been that way that's the point
0: yeah that's really really right?
1: that's the thing is like to... we're going to character assassinate each of these characters by revealing that all of this time they have actually just been waiting to betray the hero
0: i i i, I had read it i guess i kind of i guess i read it wrong because when i read it i thought it was that they had been replaced like a couple of years ago like they no, were no, no 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 oh okay well, one that's... of them
1: was because uh lana lang is they basically gets like retconned out of this right um because john byrne was writing uh, superman at the time and he didn't care for lana lang as a character and he was perfectly willing to character assassinate her but the rest of dc was just like oh hang on a second here she's actually been in the comics for 30 or 40 years she's got fans we don't necessarily want to do this right (laughs) but several other characters, including people who were kind of key to, you know, like the ongoing stories, are re- in fact revealed to have always been part of the Manhunter cult. So uh, Helga Jace, who was like the team scientist for the Outsiders, uh, Marcy Cooper, who was Obsidian's girlfriend in uh, Infinity Incorporated, uh, Rocket Red Number Seven, who was in Justice League at the time, right? All of these different characters suddenly basically do a heel turn and betray the heroes uh you know and uh and try to kill them off basically while the manhunters you know emerge in like their you know massive army uh to fight the Green Lanterns and the Guardians. It doesn't really make sense. As you point out, obviously it's you know like the 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 they retcon uh you know Lana back to being okay basically but apart from that you know a bunch of kind of you know second tier backup characters uh, all get terminated. Basically, um, there's big fight scenes, big fighty fight war between the Manhunters and the Green Lanterns. Well, the Manhunters lose, okay. But here's the here's the real stupidity of the plot. So there's going to be a new series spinning out of the uh you know of, of the pages of uh you know Millennium basically that will be called uh, the New Guardians, and the New Guardians will be these specific humans. Who were chosen to be the beginning of this new race. Right? Like over the course of millennium, we, you know, each of these characters, the 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 manhunters are trying to kill them and the heroes are, you know, like find them and keep them alive, right? So you get this collection of like eight characters, basically, uh, who were brand new, introduced to the universe, except one of them isn't new. One of them is Jason Woodrue, uh, you know, the the plant villain, basically, from the Justice League and Swamp Thing. Um, he he's the only guy who's not. Who's not new?
0: Well, <laughs> also, one of them is a white supremacist.
1: Well, no, the villain—the villain coming up is a white supremacist.
0: No, I thought it, the one it, guy leaves the group. Did I? Well, yes, I... I
1: mean he does, but he's—he's—he is never. Nobody ever thinks he's going to be part of the
0: team. Well, he's yeah, but he's like one of the ones that they're supposed to go get. Exactly. <laughs> like, yes. there's Twelve of them, and they keep. Uh, it's a—it's a really confusing. Right, several die,
1: and one—one one turns villain, basically, or one is revealed to be a villain. Right. So this new series, then, is going to pick up where these characters are going to apparently be the forerunners of a new race of immortals. Except that the problem is the lineup of these characters as the the, the eight who basically survive when you take out the white supremacist and the people who die uh, <laughs> from the team are uh, four women, gay man, a guy who's a robot and does not apparently seem to be shall we say fully functional
0: <laughs>
1: and jason woodrew who is a horrifying plant monster <laughs> i'm not seeing a lot of procreation happening on the <laughs> schedule in this collection of characters right i'm not really sure how we're going to get a new race being born I i can't imagine any of these people having sex with each other right like just, none of this makes any involved. sense
0: Maybe they, maybe they bud. That's why they brought the plant guy. They, That's why
1: they brought uh, Jason Woodruff in, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: so the series that spins out of this is an absolute nightmare. And at some point, we really should do just like a making fun of New Guardians, uh, you know, episode. I keep threatening to do it because, like, I, like you say, we have the crazy white supremacist. We have the guy with cocaine-related powers.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: We have all there's just a whole bunch of just nutty shit that is going on, and it's literally in the middle of Steve Englehart's you know like breakdown at DC, uh, and his you know burning every bridge at DC for a second time basically after you know having already done it once in the 70s and then doing it at Marvel in the early 80s. Uh, It's you know it's kind of Englehart's third strike basically as a uh, as as a creator as he just completely melts down over fighting with his editors about this oh yeah it's it sold it's it, it sold all right you know oh, yeah. it wasn't it, it certainly wasn't uh you know crisis uh sized or anything like that but uh you know people were people people bought it and then afterwards were like, boy, that was really dumb
0: so yeah it's it's kind of a mess it's it's pretty much uh, to also mostly skippable um't you're a big fan of those eight uh people that we uh that we killed off or turned into- they were robots all along right oops Cylons. um you know it's not really a uh I guess the Manhunters are cool, like, the Manhunters, were, like the Manhunters were the
1: managers were always cool. The managers were cool when Engelhardt first created them. They always have this fabulous look yeah. and everything they're good they're 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 good bad guys, but this is not a good appearance of them.
0: Mhm they become more interesting uh the worse the guardians become too,
1: also true, yes
0: the more you know uh terrible and uh immoral the the guardians are portrayed as the more interesting the uh the i, I don't know at this point are the guardians like super immoral yet or is that still to come
1: that has not happened at all yet in, at, oh, no. in DC in the 80s. That had not happened at all yet.
0: Well, I mean, obviously, we'd had, you know, like sure.
1: the the uh, Green Lantern and Green Arrow took one of them on a road trip, right? To like, you know, try to teach them about humanity and stuff. So, I mean, they they're they're always kind of like portrayed as the problem with them at this point is that they're like they're distant, right? They're not they 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 don't get up close and personal with all of like the you know the 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 people that they're supposedly protecting and manipulating. So.
0: It they certainly good.
1: aren't outright evil like they will basically, you know, turn out to be when other writers get a hold of them.
0: Yeah, they, they fluctuate between being, you know, evil and true neutral. Right. More. With, uh, what, Ganthic gets to be good. Right. <sighs> um, Alright, so where are we going next? So, I
1: 1988... Marvel has now kind of uh, uh, recuperated (laughs) from a couple of years off uh, and decides that they want to try the same kind of thing that DC was doing, Um, except that they're going to do it a little differently. They're not going to have a limited series comic. What they're going to do is take all of their annuals that come out every year, and they're going to do one story that takes place across all of their annuals. Right, so like you know, we we kind of uh, uh, when when we built our rules for what counts, we had to kind of like include this possibility in because several things you know uh, uh, will will use this format, right? Um, But so uh, the first one that they try is evolutionary war, which is the summer of 1988. All of the annuals for all of the Marvel titles basically just tell one story. Uh, In this case, Louise Simonson was the lead writer. A bunch of different writers pitched in, different artists in every issue, you know, that sort of thing. The basic story is the high evolutionary comes back. We haven't seen him in a few years, and he decides he's going to accelerate human evolution and turn us all into higher beings uh, by just kind of like genetically messing with everybody on Earth. Uh, Okay, fine, whatever. It's the sort of thing that the high evolutionary does. over the course of the story, he uh, we we discover that his eventual plot is to set off a bomb that is going to uh, you know have this kind of like mutagenic effect all over like the atmosphere of the entire planet and just mess with the genetics of everybody and turn us all into superhumans. Uh, incidentally, in order to include all of like the street level comics that were being published at the time, and to get them as part of the plot. Uh, there is the the high evolutionary is basically responsible for a massacre in Bolivia that like kills a whole bunch of Bolivian uh, cocaine producers and temporarily closes the cocaine pipeline to New York City, which starts a drug war in New York City so that like the Punisher and Spider Man and Daredevil can get involved in a story that they otherwise clearly would not have been part of. Right. That's like the the their spin-off of Evolutionary War is basically only dealing with the drug war and the gang war that happens in New York City because the high evolutionary has accidentally shut off the flow of coke to the US. <laughs> the uh, the Avengers at this point, uh, that year were temporarily disbanded for reasons. Right? Like it's the, all of the characters had like wandered off in different places. There was no kind of like active uh, team of the Avengers at that point, Captain America. Uh, at the time, um, U.S. Uh, the the uh, the guy who would be U.S. agent John Walker is the current Captain America, and Steve Rogers is the Captain, uh, wearing his you know like all black version of his costume basically, um, and so the Captain has to put together a temporary a temporary lineup of Avengers. Uh, just to deal with this problem. And it's kind of a hilarious group, because it's like the Beast, uh, the Hulk, his first real-time back as a member, um, and uh, D-Man, and uh, Rita Damara as Yellowjacket in her kind of first appearance as a face basically it's the beginning of her face turn uh since she had only been a villain at that point um and it's kind of a hilarious group that it's a little i'm a little sad that it like never actually stuck together because it's fun to watch them uh you know kind of like interacting with each other it's back when the beast was still funny and funny beast and the hulk being on the same team is pretty entertaining to watch um other than that it's, you know, it's a perfectly good story. It's not great. There's no great events that really happen in it or anything. It doesn't change the universe in any particular way. Um, but it's a success. It works. The, the, you know, sales are up. The annuals sell well. Uh, Louis Simonson is a perfectly competent writer. And after this, Marvel is now back in the big summer epic business, basically. Uh, it kind of like reconvinces them that uh, summer epics are still worth doing. So
0: Yeah, I mean, the end of this. Comic is kind of insane and fun. That's the 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 last issue, the the Avengers issue is probably the 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 best one. Absolutely, yeah. You know they super evolve uh, Hercules, which is funny.
1: Right. Yep. Anyway, it puts them back in the business in 1989. Both DC and Marvel do a similar thing. Uh, you know where they they kind of uh, set this up. Uh, the DC 1989 big crossover is Invasion. Uh, An invasion is by uh, scripted by Keith Giffen and Bill Mantlo. Um, the uh, core issues. It's a three-issue limited series with art by Todd McFarlane, who was, you know, basically just a kid at this point, um, but had become, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's it's pre-Spider-Man basically, but it's when he's still doing Infinity Incorporated and that sort of thing over there. Um, and this one has, uh, like I said, it's three core issues and there's 43 crossovers, a new high, uh, a, a new number basically uh, to, to, to set for this. And the premise of Invasion, once again, a very kind of like straightforward superhero story, is that uh, the Dominators, this evil alien race that uh, have been kicking around in the Legion of Superheroes and other places, uh, decide to invade Earth because our genetic diversity and our metagene, which is a word and a term first used here in, uh, you know, in DC continuity. Uh, the ability to, for us to basically have uh, superpowers, to gain superpowers from, uh, you know, from from outside influences, basically makes us super dangerous. Other aliens can't do this, right? Like if you, uh, you know, give gamma radiation or whatever to like a typical other alien in the DC universe, they're just going to die. Somehow, humans get new superpowers. Right, so, uh, so they decide to put together an alliance of a bunch of favorite old-timey DC alien races, and they invade the Earth to take us over. Uh, there's, you know, we wind up fighting a war across these forty-three issues and the three-issue series. Uh, Captain Adam. Is made the commander of kind of like the combined superhero force of all of the superheroes on Earth. Meanwhile, Amanda Waller is running her own kind of like intelligence operation on you know behind the scenes, basically, and controlling a whole bunch of supervillains that she's sending out to be part of this. Uh, and you know the 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 story is basically just big battle scenes. This one does have a bunch of uh, influence on the DC universe. Legion history winds up getting a whole bunch of like kind of new background information. Uh and Valor slash Monel uh gets like a whole new backstory uh about kind of like how the alien races of the Legion of Superheroes period come to be in the first place. Uh and then also the new modern Legion comic, uh the modern day version with Real Docs and Captain Comet and those guys. Uh, gets introduced in this series and spins off out of this series. Uh, the Doom Patrol of the period is basically wiped out; half of them are killed. And coming out of the series is the beginning of the Grant Morrison run on Doom Patrol, where uh, you know Morrison had kind of like asked to, uh, you know, have a completely different cast in the book, basically. So to you know, in order to set that up, basically, uh, they kill. A pile of the uh, you know previous characters uh, just get wiped out uh, over the course of invasion. Um, a bunch of the Omega Men die as well. That whole series kind of gets uh, torn up. Uh, a new team called the Blasters is formed. Uh, Snapper Car gets superpowers and is leading a whole new superhero team. That pretty much is a disaster and disappears after five or six issues gets canceled. Several characters... Uh, the a, a a bomb, once again, kind of like going back, stealing a plot from the uh, high evolutionary story, a genetic bomb is in fact actually set off uh, on Earth that temporarily messes with the superpowers of a bunch of different characters. So there's like an issue or two uh, spinoff, basically, of uh, several stories that are just about... Uh, heroes dealing with the fact that their powers have been messed with for a bit. But eventually that all gets kind of like resolved and status quo is pretty much, you know, restored pretty quickly. Um, It's fun. Once again, there's not a great deal kind of like to it. But if you're going to have a summer ethic, it's this is a perfectly plausible one to have. Um, It's fun to see all of these, you know, like weird different kinds of aliens that we've only ever kind of, you know, seen one of. Uh, to see like entire armies of them show up, that's kind of fun. Keith Giffen is a you know fun writer, and the 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 core issues of it, like I said, have perfectly good McFarlane art. If you like that, so
0: yeah, it's 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 definitely interesting in the art. I found I probably would have enjoyed it more if I liked Legion or um, if I liked Legion. I think I would just like it more.
1: Oh, like I said, it's it's the it's chronologically the first appearance of a whole lot of aliens from the old Legion series, right? Right. So you get to see, you know, uh, like the this the 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 alien race that like Shrinking Violet is part of, right? Like becomes part of the invasion force, you know, and like a bunch of other ones do. The Kunz, who are kind of like the main running, you know, alien bad guys of the Legion, they're also part of this, right? Like so it's all it's all tied into Legion continuity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got the feeling the whole time I was reading through the, and it's only three issues, so it's a quick read. Um, right. That, like, this is this would be really cool if I was a Legion fan, uh, right. and Legion's just one of those comics that I have never been able to get into. Um, I don't think it's bad or anything, like. Right. Maybe you're a huge oh, fan that's fair. That's part of my yeah. appeal
1: is being a, it's, for it is definitely that I am a Legion fan, so I, I I was delighted to see all of this stuff.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I it it seems like if I was really into Legion, I would have love this this crossover. Um and it's it's good. Fun to read lots of cool battle scenes like you said. Really you know early or not early, I guess you know I guess I, what do we call all McFarlane art pre-image early? I guess I pre-Spider-Man at least
1: pre-Spider-Man number 1. Yeah. You know, so yeah, he, really. his career kind of like, obviously takes like a very different arc after that happens. Right. Kind of thing. So it's, if you're seeing this is, this is back when McFarlane couldn't, you know, like make sweeping editorial decisions just by himself, uh, because of the amount of money he was bringing in. Right. Like this yeah. is, this is pre rich McFarlane. Let's put it that way. <laughs>
0: Definitely. Yes. The, the good times.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Back when he was this kind of like, oh, cool, young, new, exciting artist doing this thing over at infinity incorporated. Right. So.
0: I think he's about to go and do something for for Marvel or DC. I could have sworn I saw him on a on a. Oh, it's Marvel. He's gonna go do a like X Force again or something. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so that's that's
1: DC's eighty nine uh, story. Marvel, of course, also tries one in nineteen eighty nine, and the the last one will hit tonight. Uh, to, in this episode, anyway. Um, and it's one of my favorites of all of them. Uh, this one's called Atlantis Attacks. And once again, there's no limited series to it. It basically takes place over the course of uh, 14 different annuals, uh, this time in 1989. And the basic premise is uh, the great uh, deviant uh, bad guy, the the, the deviant priest uh, Gower, turns. First time we've seen him in a few years. And he intends to get the serpent crown. One of kind of like the great evil magical artifacts of the Marvel universe, and he's going to use it to summon the serpent god set to destroy his enemies. And his enemies are basically at this point just about everybody. So, you know, he's he's totally planning to, you know, conquer the earth and, and rule. And he teams up with um Lyra and Atuma, uh, in order to kind of like bring Atlantis and Lemuria to his side for a while. Um as part of this kind of plan, Lyra, of course, promptly betrays Atuma, uh, and Atlantis gets you know hosed, gets absolutely like crushed. Atlantis tries to invade New York City, uh, as part of the story. At one point, we think that uh, Namor the Submariner is dead for a few issues, uh, but then of course he comes back from the dead and you know shows up just in time to uh, you know save New York City and help thwart this invasion. Uh, the deviants capture seven seven different superheroines over the course of the story who are gonna be sets brides. Uh he's going to, you know, like basically uh you know marry them and then they will have his evil children and create a, you know a new race of evil serpent people. Uh and you know, gradually over the course of these 14 uh annuals, like an entire team of you know, all the superheroes in the world and all of the uh, you know, Eternals and pretty much everybody else gets into like one big massive battle uh, against Set. Um, and then, over the, the backup story of every one of these annuals, is Peter Sanderson, the writer of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, basically doing a 14 part summary. Of the history of the Serpent Crown and set and the backstory of Atlantis and the backstory of the Deviants and everything, and how it all kind of like ties together continuity wise. So it like straightens out a whole bunch of, uh, you know, like the weird uh, uh, act story of the Marvel Universe and kind of like puts it all in one place in order so that you can kind of like understand how it works. And there's very little in the way of any kind of you know big massive changes. Nobody dies. Nobody has a you know like crisis or anything. It's just fun. It's well written, and in my opinion, this is how you do one of these, right? It's there's the scale is interesting enough to you know like have everybody involved, but you don't feel like you're hosed if you missed some one part of it or whatever. And uh, you know everybody gets to be in it. Every every character is treated well. Atlantis gets clobbered. Atlantis gets clobbered every couple of years anyway. So it's not, you know, like that big a deal, basically. Uh it's just a fun story and it's, you know, one of the highlights of the 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 summer annual uh collections, in
0: my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree with you. This is another one I hadn't read before um before uh we were prepping for this episode. And I love Namor. Um so seeing I, him get kind of get the the big heroic return and everything is pretty great. Um, yeah, it's it's really good. They, this is this one is also I think pretty well remembered since it it's been brought up twice in the two thousands. Once with a it's a it's a it's a I don't think it's a crossover. I think it's just a single like storyline in Agents of Atlas where instead it's a it's them fighting. Um, right the the Atlantis attacks reboot the second one yeah yeah the second one is just the the agents versus uh versus namor mostly um right. and got, there's just, the yeah. the
1: dragon that is maintaining pan or whatever that le- like atlantis and uh, and and pan have to fight each other
0: yeah yeah it's fun um yeah, it's perfectly then there's story. also a what if that they put out uh, when they were redoing all the what ifs this is one of the ones that got or not redoing when they were doing what ifs for older Crossovers. This is one of the ones that got um got picked for that, which is not oh, okay. I don't think uh, I read that. It, it's kinda dumb. Um it's dumb and very doomy. Um basically everyone turns into into blizzard people, like into so into like,
1: snake people, yeah, basically. Which well yeah. that was supposed to be the outcome. That's what Gower was trying for, so sure. Yeah.
0: He gets the thing he wants and then uh Quasar Quasar's the big hero. Uh which is cool, because Quasar doesn't really get to do much in modern Marvel comics. Right. Um, I think he gets the Captain Universe power, so you get a cool shot of Quasar with a Captain Universe. uh Dude. okay. Yeah, you know, uh, outfit on. So, it's kind of cool.
1: Alright.
0: Yeah, I'll it's like... Check you know, that one out. Yeah, the, those, uh... I'll bring them up as... I, I read all of them, because I love, I love What Ifs. I'll bring them up as we go through these. The ones that got... Uh, the ones that got what-ifs in the, like... I think they put them all out in, like, 2006, 2007? Maybe? Or no, this is one of the older ones. Actually, sorry, I'm looking it up right now. This is a 1991
1: one. Oh, jeez, so it wasn't even that long afterwards.
0: Yeah, no, I was thinking of... I thought it was part of when they were putting out the... Because they did a whole bunch where they basically went back and did some older comics in, uh, right. in 2005. Yeah, it's like a 1991 one. I'm misremembering the... Alright, well. I'm remembering the art as being newer looking, but I guess I'm just misremembering it. Um because I read it before I read this. Oh, okay. Like I read the what if before I read the the what's it right. called?
1: Well I'm a for me, I mean I'm a sucker for deviance anyway, right? Like I mean I love it's it's all the Kirby foolishness of it. So Gower is yeah. one of my, you know, favorite recurring bad guys. I'm just delighted to see him messing with people. So
0: yeah. Uh and maybe we'll see some more Gower uh, later in the series.
1: I think we're uh, going to. I think he's going to come back uh, a few more times.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, thank I think you. That all.
1: covers us for right now, anyway.
0: Yeah, uh, we'll pick up with more of this next time. Um, if you like this, uh, please let us know on our Patreon or on our Discord, because this is going to be a fairly long series, and we don't want to do something someone that uh, we don't want to do something that people aren't enjoying. So please uh, sound off in the comments. I've been Steve Tasker. I'm Darren Watts. Have a good night. Thanks for coming.